Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Sue Bianba. Let's take a look at our top stories. A new report about critical race theory in Florida universities. An insider says a school is under-reporting how many such programs they actually have. Next year's presidential election will be a little different. The Democratic Party is changing which state they will hold the first primary in. The GOP-controlled House is balking at a global tax agreement. The deal would establish a minimum corporate tax rate of 15%. A preview of President Biden's State of the Union address. Among his many topics, the economy is expected to take a spotlight. The University of Florida might have more so-called woke programs than previously known. That's according to an insider who says he analyzed the situation. A University of Florida insider released a report showing that the university underreported its diversity, equity and inclusion, or DEI, programs. The insider released the report exclusively to the Epic Times on the condition of anonymity. Governor Ron DeSantis' office asked public universities to report their DEI programs. The University Insider says the school's funding numbers did not disclose a vast network of personnel and programs pushing DEI, including critical race theory, or CRT. He says that as many as 33 DEI liaisons fell under the radar when the university self-reported its DEI programs to the governor's office. He also noted that the university had ties to a youth gender program. In August, the Tampa Bay Times reported that the youth gender program at the University of Florida currently follows about 50 children receiving puberty blockers, according to data supplied by the clinic. About 200 of its patients are receiving hormone therapy. In December, DeSantis's office began a new campaign to remove what they call woke ideas from the education system. DeSantis required the state's universities to self-report figures on staff, programs, and campus activities related to DEI and CRT by January 13th. Last week, a spokesperson for the governor's office said they suspect that DEI and CRT initiatives in the state's public education institutions are significantly underreported. According to The Insider, the University of Florida spent $3.4 million in total on DEI programs. He estimates that the total for DEI programs across the Florida university system was more than $15 million in public funds. NTD reached out to the University of Florida for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. When it comes to the presidential election next year, the primary season will look very different. The Democratic Party just made South Carolina the first state to hold a primary. The Democratic Party on Saturday approved reordering its 2024 presidential primary, replacing Iowa with South Carolina in the leadoff spot. The vote took place during a three-day Democratic National Committee event in Philadelphia. If this new plan holds, South Carolina would hold its primary first on February 3, 2024. New Hampshire and Nevada would keep their early slots, followed by Georgia and Michigan. Iowa's new date has not been determined. States with early contests play a major role in determining the nominee. That's because candidates struggling to raise money or gain political traction often drop out before visiting states outside the first five. Media attention and policy debates concentrate in those areas, too. President Biden endorsed the new plan after his win in South Carolina in the 2020 primary. He suffered losses in Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada. 
And talking about electoral reform, there are also changes happening in North Carolina. The North Carolina Supreme Court voted last week to rehear two cases involving election maps and voter identification laws. This is a win for the state's Republican lawmakers. They asked the court to rehear the cases. Republicans gained a majority on the state Supreme Court in the November midterms. In one of the cases, the state Supreme Court ruled on December 16, 2022, to strike down a law requiring photo voter identification. The court had a 4-3 Democratic majority back then. The judges cited alleged discrimination against minorities as the justification. In the other case, the state Supreme Court ruled on the same day to reject electoral maps drawn by the state's GOP majority legislature. The maps are for congressional elections and state Senate elections. Both cases were previously ruled against North Carolina's Republican lawmakers. Now the state Supreme Court has a Republican majority of 5-2. to two. Both cases will be reheard on March 14th. The Republican-controlled House is fighting an international tax agreement. The deal would let other countries tax U.S.-based profits. And today's Daniel Monahan has the story. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen negotiated the deal with more than 130 other countries. Here's Yellen on Bloomberg. The post-pandemic world must be fairer, especially with regard to international taxation. The global tax agreement includes a minimum corporate tax rate on multinational companies of 15%. For too long, there has been a global race to the bottom in corporate taxes, where countries compete by lowering their tax rates instead of the well-being of their citizens. It gives Congress the choice of either approving the deal or watching U.S. companies suffer from foreign tax penalties. The agreement seeks to do away with tax havens and tax loopholes, as well as impose minimum corporate taxes in all countries. The plan is divided into two pillars. Pillar 1 allows countries to tax a company's profits if its products are sold in that country, regardless of where the company itself is based. It would affect an estimated $125 billion in profits. Pillar 2 establishes a global minimum tax of 15%, which could raise an estimated $150 billion worldwide. Broadly speaking, the plan seeks to increase corporate taxes and redistribute tax income globally. It would allow for more tax revenues to go to less developed countries. Representative Jason Smith says the OECD agreement is a bad deal for American workers and families, and it has no path forward in Congress. He says the Biden administration cannot override Congress's sole tax writing authority under the Constitution or turn that power over to foreign bureaucrats. Meanwhile, former House and Treasury staffer Aharon Friedman says the OECD tax pillars are more about sovereignty, that is, who gets to make a country's tax laws. He adds that he doesn't expect Congress to approve the deal based on its future implications. The OECD itself has stated, even boasted, that this is just the first step. Their next step is to open a similar project with regard to carbon taxes, and they also want to examine the taxation of individuals. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now onto the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down over the weekend. Underwater searches to recover the remains are underway. A full Senate classified briefing has been scheduled for February 15th. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more updates on the incident. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the briefing will include information about China's surveillance capabilities, research and development, and advanced weapon systems. He pushed back on criticism that the spy balloon should have been shot down sooner. Shooting down the surveillance balloon over water wasn't just the safest option, 
but it was the one that maximized our intel intelligence payload. The Gang of Eight is also expected to be briefed as soon as Tuesday. The group is made up of key intelligence committee members and top leaders from the House and Senate. A U.S. fighter jet shot the balloon down with a missile off the coast of South Carolina on Saturday. You know, it just popped and like above it, it was like confetti. Senior defense officials say the missile punctured the balloon when it was about six nautical miles off the coast near Myrtle Beach. Well within the 12 nautical miles of U.S. territory, the debris landed in 47 feet of water and spread out over several miles. Recovery operations included several ships and a salvage vessel. Officials say the balloon debris will be taken to an FBI lab for analysis. China is accusing the U.S. of overreacting. It claims the balloon was for weather research and had blown off course. Because it's a balloon, it can act with a certain impunity in this sense and has this plausible deniability saying that it's a weather balloon. And I think the statement that they were trying to make is that they are not okay with, with the U.S. foreign policy and this closeness between the U.S. and Taiwan. China's Ministry of Defense stated they reserve the right to use necessary means to deal with similar situations. It was certainly trying to make a statement and test the water and see how the U.S. would respond to this. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has postponed his planned trip to Beijing, saying conditions were not conducive for a constructive visit at this time. The presence of this surveillance balloon in U.S. airspace is a clear violation of U.S. sovereignty and international law. The Pentagon says a second Chinese spy balloon was detected flying over Latin America. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And coming up, two massive earthquakes hit Turkey and parts of Syria. Hundreds are trapped and killed, and the death toll is still climbing. We'll bring you the latest updates. The largest strike ever by health workers in the UK, with tens of thousands of workers protesting in a pay dispute. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. President Biden will deliver his second State of the Union address on Tuesday. Let's take a look at what to expect. Biden's State of the Union address will bring him face to face with a Republican-controlled House for the first time. As the president speaks from the House rostrum, economic progress will likely be one of his top focuses. In particular, after America added more than 500,000 jobs in January, but inflation remains a national headache. Prices have risen by a total of more than 13 percent under Biden. A December report in the New York Post shows that the average household has lost more than $10,000 to rising prices in the last two years. Whereas in previous decades, if the economy was doing well, the president would be rewarded. And if the economy was doing poorly, the president would be punished. We're in a new era where if the economy is doing well, it doesn't change his approval ratings. If the economy is doing poorly, it doesn't really change his approval ratings because Democrats are going to back Biden and Republicans are going to attack Biden irrespective of the policy objectives, irrespective of the economic uh, factors and so on. And so that makes it a very challenging era for him. Biden is also likely to keep urging Congress for a higher debt limit after his meeting with Speaker Kevin McCarthy last week failed to reach a deal. The president may use this speech to reiterate his message. The war in Ukraine could be another focus of his speech ahead of the anniversary of the Russian invasion. 
as just last week Biden approved tank shipments to Ukraine as a show of U.S. support. The president may also emphasize a bipartisan immigration deal in Congress. More than four and a half million illegal immigrants have been arrested at the border since Biden took office. And the president can also call for police reform while emphasizing his opposition to defunding the police. That's in the wake of the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols by Memphis police. Worth noting, Nichols' mother and stepfather will be among the guests attending tomorrow's speech. Two massive earthquakes hit Turkey and northern Syria this morning, killing over 2,300 people. At least 9,000 are injured. Authorities expect the death toll to rise as rescue workers search the rubble in cities and towns across the area. President Biden has authorized an immediate U.S. response. Here's Antiris Kostemenes with the details. The 7.9 magnitude quake hit southern Turkey in the early hours of Monday morning. It reverberated through several provinces in the country, as well as in neighboring Syria. I was sleeping when my wife suddenly woke me up. The quake was very severe, very scary. We were hearing sounds from all over the place. It took almost two minutes until the shaking stopped. Hundreds of people were killed. Buildings were toppled. Over a dozen aftershocks followed for several minutes, the strongest measuring 6.6 according to Turkish authorities. With several thousand injured, the death toll is expected to rise. Rescue workers searched the rubble in cities and towns across the area for survivors. There are people still trapped under rubble. I have a friend living in this apartment. His children were rescued from the top floor, but only his daughter broke an arm. We'll see what happened to those living on the ground floors. May God give us a speedy recovery. Turkish authorities declared a level four alarm, calling for international assistance. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan said on Twitter that search and rescue teams were immediately dispatched to affected areas. The U.S. Geological Survey said the quake's epicenter was about 20 miles from Gaziantep, near the Syrian border, at a depth of around 11 miles. Tremors could be felt in Lebanon, Cyprus and down as far as Egypt. Turkey is located on top of major fault lines. Earthquakes are frequent in the area. An earthquake that hit northwest Turkey in 1999 killed over 18,000 people. Cost MNS, NTD News. Health workers in Britain began their biggest ever strike today as tens of thousands of nurses and ambulance workers walked out in an escalating pay dispute, putting further strain on the state-run National Health Service, or NHS. What do we want? Fair pay! When do we want it? Now! Nurses and ambulance workers have been striking separately on and off since late last year. But Monday's walkout involving both, largely in England, is the biggest in the 75-year history of the NHS. This isn't what nurses do. Nurses are notoriously bad at standing up for themselves. And I think it's just driven to crunch point, really. Straw that broke, broke the camel's back at this point. Just listen. Um, they're still not listening. They're still saying, you know, the NHS doesn't have the money to pay. Of course the NHS doesn't have the money. That's why we're here. We're here for everyone. Um, the government needs to listen and discuss um, pay um, rather than just saying the NHS doesn't have money. Nurses will also strike on Tuesday, while ambulance staff will walk out again on Friday and physiotherapists on Thursday. It makes the week probably the most disruptive in NHS history, its medical director Stephen Powers said. 
Health workers are demanding a pay rise that reflects the worst inflation in Britain in four decades. The government says that would be unaffordable and cause more price rises and in turn make interest rates and mortgage payments rise. Around 500,000 workers, many from the public sector, have been staging strikes since last summer, adding to pressure on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to resolve the disputes. The Royal College of Nursing Trade Union wrote to Sunak over the weekend, asking him to bring the nursing strike, quote, to a swift close by making meaningful pay offers. The government has urged people to continue to access emergency services and attend appointments during the strikes unless they'd been cancelled, but said patients would face disruption and delays. Europe is taking another step towards cutting energy ties with Russia. A ban on imports of diesel fuel and other crude oil products from Russian refineries took effect yesterday. Last week, EU governments agreed to set a $100 price cap per barrel on sales of Russian diesel to non-Western countries. The aim is to reduce Russia's income, but avoid a global shortage which would cause the price to skyrocket. The price cap applies to Russian diesel and other fuels that sell for more than the crude oil used to make them. EU officials agreed on a $45 per barrel limit on Russian oil products that sell for less than the price of crude. Europe has been steadily reducing its diesel supplies from Russia from around half of all imports. Diesel is a crucial factor for world economies as it powers cars and trucks carrying goods, as well as farm equipment and factory machinery. They've already stopped accepting from December any crude oil in Europe. So this is big. There was a, you know, a couple million barrels a day of diesel that was coming in from Russia, and they're giving up on all of it. Once it's seen that this is really in place, and the West is you know, serious about it, that tells people in Saudi Arabia, UAE, and many other countries, there's gonna be a market. Let's start investing in producing more oil. And over time, you'll be able to eliminate the Russian oil. They'll squeeze that price. Every three months, they'll review it. That's the plan. Analysts say if the price cap works as intended and the Russian diesel, diesel keeps flowing, fuel prices should not be too heavily affected. But while Europe can find alternative supplies of diesel, Russia could seek new customers outside Europe. Just ahead, Mexican students are gaining a new way to stay fit and healthy while attending class. That and more when we return with NTD News. Students in Mexico have a new way to power through their classwork. They can crank out some light exercise on their new school desks that are equipped with bike pedals. A Mexican school is trying to reverse some of the negative impact of the COVID pandemic on children. After we got back to in-person classes, we began to observe lots of anxiety among our boys and how obesity shot up. We also saw high levels of tension deficit in our students. With this project, we're trying to break down the problem. This will also help with oxygenation of the brain. The idea for bike desks came from the inspiration provided by another North American country. Mexican entrepreneur Miguel Ortiz saw how Canada provided students with bike desks and looked for a way to do it in Mexico. When we saw their version, we realized it was a financially unfeasible version for Mexico. We decided to develop a prototype at a viable cost that could be implemented here in Mexico. 
The product is completely different from the one over there, but the concept was taken from Canada. Ortiz developed a version that cost the equivalent of $142, five times less than Canadian bike desks. A 13-year-old student thinks the idea works well. As students, this gives us a very satisfactory bonus. When we are physically active, it also helps keep us focused on our daily activities. It's actually incredible. The school currently features two classrooms with the new desks, but the plan is to gradually add them to all 21 classrooms. Our bones need activity to stay strong, along with enough vitamin D and calcium. Unfortunately, those needs are harder to meet in the winter months. That's because sunlight and outdoor activity decrease. Therefore, the risk to your bones rises. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. The winter isn't a great time for your bones. On top of that, you may not enjoy or even tolerate dairy. If that's the case, you could fall short on calcium. Thankfully, there are plenty of ways to get calcium without forcing down milk or yogurt. You are likely manufacturing far less vitamin D this time of year. The situation is likely to continue for the next few months as temperatures and sun exposure drop. Vitamin D is essential for absorbing calcium. Aside from limited sunlight exposure, you're probably not getting outdoors as much either. And when you are, you're likely covered up. Not only does that impair vitamin D intake, but inactivity can promote weaker bones. Dietary restrictions, low vitamin D and inactivity can all put bone health at risk. Do your best to get up as frequently as possible throughout the day. You'll also want to dedicate at least 30 minutes per day to load-bearing exercise. Supplementing with up to 1,000 IUs of vitamin D per day can also help. Beginning 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams of calcium per day may present a greater challenge. You don't necessarily want to be supplementing heavily with calcium. Doing so may increase the risk of acid reflux, kidney disease, cardiovascular disease, prostate trouble and hypercalcemia, that's high blood levels of calcium. Finding suitable food options in this case is ideal. Some good non-dairy sources of calcium include chia seeds can be mixed into yogurt or oats, soy milk, almonds, dried figs, white beans, sunflower seeds and broccoli. There are other nutritional options including seasonal items such as butternut squash and sweet potatoes. And that's all for today's program. Thank you so much for joining us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Sue Biamba, NTD News, New York City.